Well, we are in our last week of our Now What series, and we've just kind of been looking at these moments of life that we all experience, these Now What moments, and uh, uh, whether they're the mountaintop type of experiences where you find yourself kind of leaning back and uh, thinking to yourself, now what? And the future looks bright, and you're filled with excitement, and possibilities are endless, and, and it's just a great space, or maybe it's that more of those uh, valley experiences where you find yourself just filled with the unknown and uncertainty and the future looks dark and uh, you're not sure what to do with life. Maybe during this uh, series, a, a new now what moment has just crept in or exploded into your life and uh, this series has been maybe very timely for you. But we landed on this one simple truth found in Ephesians 3, and we kind of pulled out of this one verse, this simple statement, that more is attainable because God is able. And that's his promise to all of us, that we can experience more in this life, immeasurably more, but it's because God is able. And that's where attention creeps up. Because we have this battle kind of being raged between our heart and our hands. We like to focus on our hands, our outward uh, side of us, our talents, our gifts, our abilities, our creativity, our drive, what we do. And we want to focus on, on what I can accomplish and what I can do and what, where I can go. And God is saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, it's according to my power. And it's not just his power, but it's that his power at work within us. See, God wants us to spend more time focusing on our hearts, what's going on on the inside, than what's happening on the outside. And God just says, hey, if you focus on your heart and what the condition of your heart truly is and what it needs to be, and if you start realizing that God's power at work within you you will experience an immeasurable life. You'll experience it. But God wants us to focus on our hearts. It's why uh, last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 4. And Paul wrote these words, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That word worthy, again, is, is, is this mental uh, uh, image of a beam being balanced. And Paul was getting at this thought, that on one side is your profession of faith. For some of you, you've taken the step to accept Christ into your heart. That's your profession. You've taken that step to name him as Lord and Savior. And Paul's saying on one side is that. On the other side is your practice, how you live out that faith. And Paul's saying, hey, just keep that in balance as best as you can. What's going on in the inside of your heart, make sure that is coming out through what you do. And that's why God wants us to focus so much more time on the condition of our hearts and what's going on on the inside, because God knows that whatever's going on on the inside will always come out by what you say and do. And God wants all of us to realize that when he's at work within our heart, Paul used the word dwelling in our inner being, That when 
God's spirit is growing and changing you from the inside out, then how you act and what you say and how you interact in this world will look completely different. God wants us to focus on our heart. But we all can pause and we think about that thought and maybe on one side you're like, yeah, yeah, that's right. But we all have to live in this life, don't we? And we all know this tension, this fight, this battle being waged within our hearts. So there's moments where words come flying out of our mouth and you're like, oh, I want those words back. Or you sit at your computer and that one person deserves and you start pounding on your keyboard and you feel so righteous and and vindicated in your words and that email and then you hit send and then you go, oh, can I get the email back? How can I? Can I? And it's too late. It's gone. And you find yourself sitting there going, I shouldn't have hit send. I should have hit delete. Those moments where you look at something you shouldn't look at or you do something that you shouldn't do, the thing that you promised you'd never do again, you do again. And there the battle rages even within our hearts. And God wants us to know that he wants to do immeasurably more, but it's going to take work. It's going to take effort. It's going to take you relying on his strength in your heart to get there. Because that's where it begins. That's where it all begins. There's times where uh, I feel like I'm doing a really good job in this area. I look around, and I'm like, ah, at least I don't do what this person does. Have you ever done that? At least I don't talk like that person. At least I don't struggle with that like that person. And we have this human way of framing our our life around that. Well, I'm not as bad as this person. But then we look at other people, and you're like, ah, but I'm not like that person. That person's really good or really holy or really spiritual, or however you want to frame it. But it kind of makes us feel okay in our life, doesn't it? Well, I'm not as bad as, I'm not as good as, but at least I'm not that person. And it kind of helps us rationalize this battle going on within our heart. Especially we start reading the Bible, and we think about people like Moses. I put Moses, if there's some like mystical scale of bad and good, Someone who's really, really far from God, they're evil. And someone who's like one step away from God, I mean, they're so good. You look at people like Moses and Abraham, they're way over there, aren't they? It's like, wow, it's Moses. Like he, he got the Ten Commandments. Like that's, wow, he, I'm not like Moses. And so we have this way to read the Bible and we read the words and we're like, oh yes, like those are great words, but... That's Moses. That's Abraham. That's Paul. Like, they should say those things. They should live that way. I mean, they're, they're way over there. They're really close to God. And it helps us justify maybe not paying as much attention to the things going on in our heart. We've been in this letter called Ephesians, written by uh, Paul. And uh, what I love about Paul is uh, he wrote this other letter to uh, the church in Rome. We call it Romans. And it's this 
amazing theological uh, book, letter. If you want to really uh, challenge yourself and, and struggle through a book of the Bible, Romans is that book, I'll just tell you. But it will expand your thinking. And uh, on one side, it's that. But on the other side, what's unique about the book of Romans is that you can tell Paul is kind of processing his own spiritual journey. The Holy Spirit was working within him, but yet he was still going, but I'm still working through some of these thoughts, some of these tensions, some of these friction moments. And the book of Romans was written in, in, in a way that we, we kind of think that there's probably some scribe or some guy actually writing down the thoughts as Paul was talking out loud. Because it feels totally different than the other letters. And I have this mental picture of, of Paul just sitting there in some house, and there's some scribe sitting there. And as Paul is talking, as the Holy Spirit is speaking through him, the scribe is, is writing these thoughts down. And we come to this one place in Romans chapter 7. Listen to Paul's words. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. And God's law is basically you know, God's kind of guardrails for your life. It's how God is saying, hey, I want you to live within these guardrails. These are good for you to live by and, and, and make sure that you stay between. So he's saying, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me. Waging a war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. I can just picture, you know, Paul is just talking through this, this spiritual uh, journey that we, we, we're all on. Like on one side, we're like, we want to do good. And on the other side, we don't. On one side, we want to say great and encouraging things, but then those other words come out of our mouth. On one, one side, we want to really tell the truth, but on the other side, we hedge the truth and we try to rationalize. And one, one way, we really want to honor God in everything we say and do. On the other side, we don't do that. And the, this battle being raised, and I can just imagine Paul sitting there and he's talking through and he gets to that last line, what a wretched man I am. And he pauses takes a breath, and the scribe's sitting there going, oh, wow, Paul just lost it. He just went off on a dark, dark place, and he's waiting and waiting, and I wonder if just the silence was just sitting there, and the scribe's going, oh, I hope. Uh, come back to us, Paul. Finish this thought. We need you to finish this thought. And then all of a sudden, Paul says this, who will rescue me from this body? that is subject to death. Because Paul understood that one sin, his sin, he was subject to eternity, death, not eternity in heaven. And he understood that friction, that tension. And then he resolves it by saying, thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. I think the scribe was like, oh good, Paul hasn't lost it. You see, that's the source of hope. Today we're going to look at a list of do's and don'ts that Paul just kind of writes out in Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, what I will hope for today is that you will really sense that this is kind of uh, 
words of hope and encouragement for your, your life. I know sometimes you've come into churches and it just becomes the things that you can and can't do. And usually the things you can't do, you kind of translate somewhere in your brain is, oh, I get it. God just doesn't want me to have fun. But I also want you to know this because some of you are sitting there and you're tired. You're really tired because you're desperately trying to earn your way into heaven. Maybe you just, somewhere along the way, you've believed that thought. Maybe you've been taught that thought, that you have to earn your way to heaven, that you have to be good enough to get into heaven, or that you have to give enough to get into heaven, or you have to confess enough to get into heaven, or you have to repent enough to get into heaven, or you have to go to church enough to get to heaven. And you walk in here today, and you're just weary and tired of trying to be good enough to get into heaven. And I just want you to know, you're not good enough. You'll never be good enough to get into heaven. Never. Never. And you're like, oh, no, that's horrible news. No, you're not. God knows that. God knows that. One sin, one sin makes you not good enough to get into heaven. I mean, 22 minutes ago, you sinned. Hopefully not in the last 21 minutes. But like, you know, you're not. And that's the beauty of Christ's death on the cross. When Christ died, he, was, he paid the ultimate sacrifice. His blood covered all people, all sins, for all time. Christ on the cross, he took God's wrath, his holy and just wrath upon himself and absorbed it for you. And God says, you're not good enough. And that's why Christ came for you. And that's why he died for you. And that's why he paid the ultimate sacrifice. So whosoever believes in him, his blood covers. And so as as we make our way through this list today, it's not meant to make you feel more guilty, not measuring up, not being good enough. How I want you to see this list and every other list in the Bible is about God saying, hey, I want you to experience immeasurably more in this life. I want you to experience immeasurably more. And if you put these guardrails up into your life, if you invite him into your heart to help you, if you constantly uh, uh, be are focused on God renewing your heart, doing a work in your heart, dwelling in your heart, then you'll experience a life much different than you could ever dream of. See, God wants you to experience immeasurably more. And so we're going to jump into this list. But again, just keep that through the framework of your heart as we work through this today. He jumps in and goes, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Okay, this is halftime. We can all take a breath. (gasps) 
Oh, he's not done, done yet, by the way. Some of you are very excited because you know of some of the lists Paul has written before, and you're like, oh, this is an easier list. It's an easier list, kind of. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. So we look at this list, and what I did was I looked at uh, these eight verses, and I just started pulling out the different do's and don'ts in this list. And I combined some that were pretty similar, and I came up with these 12 do's and don'ts. And we're going to have them up here. And uh, I, I started looking at this list. And, and just naturally, just my human tendencies, I started uh, looking at this list just kind of through my own lenses myself, and I started having some of these thoughts. And I don't think I'm the only one that thinks this way or processes this way. I started thinking to myself, well, out of these 12, like, which ones don't I struggle with? And I started uh, making check marks, like, don't steal. I'm like, I don't, I don't struggle with that one. That's good. Uh, I, God's blessed me. I don't need to steal from other people. I'm actually the guy that if I'm at a restaurant and the server hands me the bill and they haven't charged me for a drink or a, a meal, I'll tell them, which always is it's amazing to look, uh, look at their response on their face. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah, you missed something. Huh? I'm like, no, you missed something. And I was sharing that with a friend one day and my friend goes, well, why do you tell them? It's their mistake. Like, if they didn't put on your bill, it's, it's their fault. You shouldn't have to pay for it. And I sat there for a moment going, okay. So I said to my friend, I go, let's take your logic and next step. Let's say hypothetically, uh, I leave my house and I forget to lock the door. My mistake? Does that mean you can come into my house and take everything? Because it's my mistake? He goes, no, no, that's stealing. I'm like, that's the point. That's the point, Right? So don't steal. I don't have a big deal with that. Uh, don't brawl. Uh, I, I don't have a, a, a big issue with that. that. That word, this is so cool, that word actually means, uh, they kind of equated it to a raven having this like guttural, like, Bleh! that's scientifically correct, by the way. I practiced that all week. But that's what brawl means, is to have this real evil, vindictive, yelling, screaming, talking down to people. Some of you work for someone like that, and tomorrow you're going to laugh to yourself. <laughs> you know, you're like, ah, oh, it's that raven sound. Don't brawl. I don't have an issue with that. Uh, the next one, don't be filled with rage and anger. I don't have that issue because, quite frankly, uh, uh, if I just walked around looking for a fight, I would lose every time. Uh, so uh, I don't fight people because I would lose. Uh, be kind. Be compassionate. And right there, I, I kind of got to this point where I'm like, five out of, out of 12, that's really good. You know why? Because if that was Major League Baseball, that'd be a 416, 417 batting average. That'd be Hall of Fame material. I'm like, way to go, Chris. You're doing great. But then I'm like, well, but baseball, that's a good batting average. But I'm, I'm sure God wants a little bit more from me. Five out of 12. Can I do more? But it gets more difficult. Because then I looked at this one. Be generous. And I kind of put a little check mark. 
Because I've got to ask God a question. Maybe you've asked God this question. Well, God, how much do I have to give to be considered generous? That's, that's the real question we ask. I mean, this past holiday season, I don't know uh, uh, if every store was doing this, but it seemed like every store, my wife and I would walk in, we had this conversation. Like, they would always ask you after your purchase, would you like to donate a dollar to name the charity? And I felt so conflicted because I'm like, do I say no? If I say no, I'm like the Grinch and am I now not generous? But if I say yes to every store... And I'm like, I'm already generous, but am I generous? And I found myself just really conflicted. I almost like just wanted to stop Christmas shopping. I was like, I just can't handle it. So I went to Amazon.com. It was a lot easier. And, uh, but there was this real thing. And, and so we, right, I don't know if you're like me, but we asked the question, well, God, how much do I need to give to be generous? And God says, there you go again. You're thinking with your hands, with your actions. What must I give? Give me the percentage. What's the action? And God goes, I, I don't care what you do with your hands, with your actions, your outside being. God says, I care about your heart. And God answers it this way. All. Ouch. Because you know what God wants? He wants to see if you're willing to give it all. God wants you to get to a place in your heart where if he asked you for all, you say, okay. And whatever percentage underneath all, guess what you say to God? Okay. Why? Because you realize that all of it is his anyway and that you're just a steward of what he's given to you. See, we want to get to a percentage and God wants to get to a heart. It gets more difficult don't lie. We probably all have this one huge bucket that we call the big lies, right? Yeah, I, honesty, being trustworthy is the most critical part of leadership. For some of you, you fired people who have lied within your company, within your division, and so we have this big bucket we call, yeah, those are lies. But then we kind of start rationalizing and we're like, ah, oh, but there's all these white lies where it's, it's okay. Because, Chris, you, you can't tell the truth all the time because what if the truth hurts someone? Take this example. You can apply it uh, in many different ways. You and your spouse... You go to that high school, junior high, elementary, musical, choir concert, whatever it might be. You find yourself sitting there in the row, and the musical starts, and your daughter's in the musical, but she didn't get the lead. She wanted the lead. The other girl got the lead. And you find yourself sitting there, and the musical progresses, and you start thinking to yourself, yeah, my daughter could have done better than her. Yeah, at least my daughter sings on pitch. Man, she can't sing. That girl, she got the lead. Have they listened to her sing before? And it grows and grows within you. And right when it's over, 
the girl who has a lead of the musical, her parents come up to you because you're kind of friends or sort of friends or acquaintances or however you want to frame it. And they come up to you and without uh, even thinking, you say, wow, your daughter, she sang beautifully if she was on pitch. Of course, you don't say the rest of that. Oh, thank you. Oh, yeah, she sang great. Oh, thank you. Oh, she sang great. And you walked away going, nope, my daughter could have done better. And we rationalize and say, well, we can't tell them the truth. It'd be really awkward if they walked up and you said, wow, your daughter was really off tonight. Wow, she should get voice lessons. Pitch is important, right? So see, you can lie. There's things you can lie about. The first question I would ask you is this. As you sat there, during that hour, hour and a half, two hour, never ending choir concert, musical. Did it really have anything to do with pitch in the first place? Was it really a pride issue that your daughter didn't get what you thought she should have? See, that's really the first question. Because maybe this girl really sang amazingly, but there's no way your pride could allow her to sing. And maybe it's not a pride issue. Maybe she just really couldn't sing on pitch. There's a whole list of other things you could have said to those parents without lying. You could have walked up to them and said, you know what, your daughter gave it all. And I could tell she was having such an amazing time on the stage. There's always words of encouragement that you can say and not lie. Because here's the issue. When you start lying in those moments... We start moving over and moving over. And the white lies become kind of grayish white lies that become gray lies that become closer and closer and closer to the big lies that you said you would never lie about. And that's why God says don't lie. Because if you start there, you will end up over there. If you allow lying to to sink its roots into your heart, you'll start lying about everything. Don't lie. Don't allow lying to sink its roots into your heart. It's going to get a little bit more difficult. How about this be forgiving? See, this one gets difficult because the people we don't want to forgive or that's so difficult to forgive It's usually the people that are closest to us. And the people that are closest to us, when they hurt us, they hurt us at the deepest level. Last weekend, I talked about these four attributes. Uh, Be humble, be patient, be gentle, and lift people up with love. You know, these four great attributes that, that God just says, those need to be part of your inner being. I found myself this week. I was on the phone with my wife, and uh, she was kind of sharing with, with me this story. And it uh, has nothing to do with Renaissance or anyone that lives in New Jersey. Uh, it has to do with a whole other relational uh, issue. And uh, she's telling me the story, and I just found my heart going to such a dark and evil place. 
I started thinking about that email I wanted to craft and hit send. Thought about what I wanted to say on the phone to these people, how they've hurt us, how they've wronged us. Can't believe that they've chosen to do this. And I found myself just going there, going there. And I got off the phone and I, I, I sat in my, my car and I found myself just going, okay, I'm, this is it. I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I'm going to confront. I'm going to make this right. I'm going to vindicate myself. I'm going there. And all of a sudden, God just kind of slapped me. And he goes, hey, Chris, do you remember three days ago where you preached four times this whole thought of extending patience to people? Don't you think you should do that? And I said, oh, God, I, I edited that out of the video. We, we don't pay attention to that anymore. Oh, that's right, God. Four times I preached about extending patience. Because we understand that you've extended patience to us. And we need to realize that all of us are messy, sinful human beings. And maybe in this world, if we start extending patience to people, understanding that, yeah, their sin hurts, and yes, they're messy, and sometimes it impacts us, but if we start extending patience to people around us, God can do work within our hearts. And that's why God says, forgive people. Forgive people. And for some of you right now, you're thinking to yourself, but Chris, you don't understand. Chris, if you knew the details of what my dad did to me, if you knew the details of what my spouse did to me, if you knew the details of what my business partner did to me, if you really knew the specifics, you would, you would understand how difficult it is for me to forgive that person. You would probably even say to me, yeah, I understand. Yeah, I, I get it. And maybe you, you shouldn't forgive them. You would say to me, it'd be okay, because there's no way I can forgive that person. And you know what I would say to you? You're right. You can't forgive them. You can't. You do not have the ability to forgive them. And that is the entire point of this entire series. It's not what you can do. It's God at work within you. God can give you the strength to extend forgiveness to that person that has hurt you the deepest. God can give you the strength to extend forgiveness to the person that has hurt you the deepest. Because this is what God knows. If you don't extend forgiveness to that person, bitterness will take root into your heart. For some of you, it already has. And bitterness is like a weed. Once it takes root in your heart, it takes over takes over. For some of you, that's your heart right now. It is filled with bitterness, and God is saying to you, hey, you're not going to clean it up, and you don't have the power to forgive. You don't have the energy. You don't have the strength, but you don't need to. And God is saying that he, through his power, through his wisdom, can help you Extend patience, extend forgiveness, even to that person that has hurt you the deepest. 
But it's going to take you inviting God into that process. This is where it's going to come to. You see, we could go through more of this list. We could talk about being cautious while speaking. We could check every box on this list. But everything on this list and everything in every other list in the Bible, God says, you're right, you can't do it by yourself. Rely on his strength. Rely on his wisdom. Rely on him. And he will give you the strength. He'll give you the strength. You see, right before this list, Paul wrote these words. He said, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And Paul just says there's this old life and this new life. We use here at Renaissance kind of this, this timeline type of uh, 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 picture just to help people figure some of this out. And uh, maybe you've seen it before, maybe you never have. And uh, don't overthink it, it's a, it's a human-made tool. Uh, but I think it will help. But it kind of looks like this. Zero, this zero line is kind of that moment where you, you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. And for some of you, you're still kind of in this old life area. And don't worry about whether you're a negative one or negative five. Don't really worry about if you're a plus one or plus five. The issue is, some of you find yourself over here. And I want you to know, it only takes faith like a mustard seed. The smallest quantity of faith you can even imagine and picture. Jesus says, that, that's all you need. Because it's not about the quantity of faith. It's about the object of your faith. And God wants you to experience a new life. And that can happen for you through Jesus Christ. And for some of you who find yourselves on this side, who've taken that step, the Bible says, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And when you accept Christ, he works in you and through you, dwelling in your inner being, making you new. And it's this continual process. Lean on God's strength. Lean on his power. Lean on his wisdom. When you say something you shouldn't, when you look at something you shouldn't look at, when you position yourself in a way you shouldn't position yourself, when you allow your pride to rise up, when you push other people down, when your actions do not reflect who Christ is in you, you need to pull yourself back and say, okay, God, I need help in this area. When you think about that list we looked at today, there's something on that list that hit a nerve. And I would say if it hit a nerve, if you wanted to kind of like shout out to me, no, you're wrong, which you could have done. It might have been awkward for you. If it hit that type of nerve, I would say to you, that's, that's the exact place you need to invite God into that place of your heart. Start relying on his strength. See, it's easy to look at other people in our spiritual walk and start comparing ourselves. You know, especially when we look at a chart like this, we're like, well, I'm not as bad as that person, but I'm not as good as, as this person. And we do that outwardly, and God says, stop doing that. And Paul says this in Ephesians 5, therefore be imitators of God. That's our target. 
That's who we should look at. Not each other, not comparing ourselves, not reading the Bible going, I'll never be like Moses or Abraham. Be imitators of God. He's your target. He's who you're looking at. And here's the thing, you need to know God. Really know him. That should be your life journey, is to truly know God in an ever-deepening and growing way. And walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Week one of now what? We spent the whole weekend looking at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And I want to reread it for you because I think hopefully now maybe it takes on a whole different meaning for you. But Paul wrote, Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Our prayer is simply this is that you leave here today not feeling uh, uh, guilty, not having this heavy burden of not measuring up, not being good enough, not accomplishing uh, uh, all the things on the list, not feeling that weight, but you leave here today knowing that God wants you to experience immeasurably more and that he has promised to work within your heart giving you his strength and his power and his wisdom, that you're not by yourself. And when you fail, he's there to pick you up. And when you actually succeed and and you don't hit send on that email, you hit delete, he's there celebrating with you going, yeah, there you go. There you go. Maybe next time don't write the email. That God is part of this journey with you. And these guardrails he's laid out, is to help you experience immeasurably more in this life. That's the hope. I pray that you feel this charge leaving here today, going, okay, I can do this, because I know God is going to be right beside me every step of the way.